Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Nathan Hill, and you're listening to Entrepot, broadcasting live on full-service radio in the lobby of the Line Hotel here in Adams Morgan. Entrepot's interview series concerned with art and design and how they intersect. Each week, I talk with fellow creatives about their craft, providing us with unique perspectives into a variety of fields. Today, I'm joined with my team over at Spaith Hill. Um, a little bit about Spaith Hill. We are a contemporary design practice, and we focus on interior branding, the built environment. Um, we do some furnishings and signage. Um, we also offer our clientele experience and expertise in strategy and traditional graphic design services, including identity design, collateral for retail, restaurants, commercial, and corporate clients. Uh, we like to say that the soul of the studio finds itself between somewhere between art and design, which gives our clients and our projects a unique perspective. Um, so I'm going to welcome today um, Jill Spaith. Good morning. And Chris. Hello. And Chase. Hi. So let's, um, let's start talking about um, a little bit about the studio and what you guys are doing, what we're, um, I think throughout this conversation, we're going to talk about what we're inspired by, what inspires us, um, a little bit about design education, kind of, you know, where um, some insights and perspectives um, and, uh, and, and maybe some like publications and books and kind of dive into a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, Jill, do you want to? kick things off sure so um i would say to start all of that off i think um what we are inspired by at the studio is a real connection to people who are interested in the craft of design um who really enjoy exploring new ideas and who are consistently pushing themselves to do more and try more I think um, that is brought on a lot by the environment that we're in and, and the books that are around us and the cool posters and all that stuff. But also, I mean, my background, I um, really learned, um, actually before design, I learned about art and the craft of um, being a, a draftsman. And I think through that experience, I was just kind of thinking about this today as I was on the way to the studio about like where do you get that sense of like drive and practice and I think that for me came from this studio that I used to study at it was called the Barnstone Studios in Cobley, Pennsylvania hey <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was run by this gentleman called his name was Myron Barnstone he's recently passed but he really pushed us and was always making sure that we were refining our craft and honing what we were doing and if you weren't doing a good job he would tear it off the you know your paper and and throw it on the ground in front of the whole class and tell you to start again and I that think seems harsh 
Yeah, but that's how it is. <laughs> that's how it should be. That's how, yeah. And I, it was terrifying. And there are plenty of t- days I drove away from that crying, thinking mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. But it made me better. And I think that idea of practice is something that we're really fond of at the studio. I was just listening to, I love Dave Chang's podcast. <laughs> and he, this week, was interviewing um, Angela Duckworth, who wrote the book, um, grit. I think she's at University of Pennsylvania and she's a professor there and they were talking about this idea of practice and how boring it is. Like on our Instagram, we don't post our practice a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe on stories we do, but practice is really boring. I mean, just you think, mean the actual physical, what we, what we do. Yeah. Or anybody's practice, like how we do it, how you get to the point where mm-hmm. you're putting this beautiful thing on mm-hmm. your Instagram post. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that that is inherent in the studio, and we probably should show that more than we do, but I like the idea of talking about it. Oh, I think it's hard. I think it's hard um, to always put things on social media because as you're doing it, um, for example, when we're screen printing or we're book binding or we're doing something hands-on, you know, it's hard to say, oh, this is so cool. People would appreciate this. Let me stop what I'm doing yeah. and then pivot a little bit and try to capture this in a meaningful way on social media. And then I feel like your focus is just, it's distracting. Shifted and distracted. Right. It's yeah. kind of like you always have to have somebody behind you ready to go with the camera. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that's... What's wrong with that? You uh, yell at me when yeah. I do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I want to I want to I want to hear from um, from Chris and Chase about this. I mean, you guys, you're fairly new to the studio. Um, your backgrounds, you know, you're you're coming from design schools, and you know, you're you're kind of um, thrown into the studio environment. Um, I feel like you guys are loving it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, absolutely. So, what are your like? What are your from a from a design education perspective? Because it's so fresh, and you guys are. You know, you, uh, presumably you still remember what your classes were. And, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything that you might think of in particular that um, that design education should prepare you for or should expose you to now that you're in a working studio environment? Um, is there anything in particular that you think you wish you'd have known more about? or Maybe not known more about, but what I appreciate about the education that I've had that it's thinking about it cross medium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the physicality of design, like my connection to that and how it was presented in classes, I think that's really sort of what um, gave me a good groundwork for coming into uh, a place like Spathill Hill and how it's very much about, um, you know, designing a space and th- having all of these different considerations that, you know, you may touch upon in, you know, a typographic treatment, but it's a little further than, that because it's incorporating different aspects of design or or those types of principles. So mm-hmm. I'm thankful for that. And um, yeah, yeah. I think I think also um, contextualizing something. I think a lot of times um, I've seen this from design educators um, and and myself included. I have to kind of catch myself and make sure that if I say something, I'm putting it into the context that says this is why this is it needs to change or it needs to be developed further because of and then this real world experience and if, and it's okay sometimes if it has nothing to do with the real world experience but if it does i think it's important to contextualize it so that people understand even as a student i remember so many times a teacher would say something and then i had professional experience before i went to school and i thought to myself they're not going to get what you just said and why like i get it i understand why you're saying this mm-hmm. but they have absolutely no idea yeah 
And so I found as a student, I would run around afterwards and go, so you know what she meant, right? I was like, so this is the reason. I felt like there was this obligation. I had a duty to let somebody know this is why this was changed, <laughs> you know? So what about you, Chase? Um, yeah, so I went to a pretty small art school in L.A. called Otis. Um, and I really was lucky because all my professors were so talented and so like in their field and like really inspiring and um so they were actively working some of them yeah yeah um and they have their own studios and that kind of thing but um it was the process was really what was pushed in our program um and it definitely is something that's like hard to capture all the time or like save everything we were encouraged like save everything all the time Mm -hmm. And um, like your process, or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know. I just love the process part of design so much because that's the time where I feel the most free. I can try whatever I want, and um, there's less restrictions. And then, um, but I also like love like structure and like grids and everything. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I feel you there. I mean, I I think that the research part of a project I think can be daunting sometimes but um, I I don't really think of it like that because I feel like it's the research it's the smart part of what Mm -hmm. we do it's the the intellectual part of it Um, and then we get to geek out on structuring that organizing it Mm -hmm. and that's where like you just said the grids come in and Mm -hmm. you know um, I used to do um, a lot of uh, UX and UI design and I think that um, I was able from an architectural standpoint to organize things in a way to make sense for the end user that I got really excited about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not as excited as I am about making things now, like with wood and paper and paint. And I think that's where we've kind of evolved um, as a practice, as a studio, as Faith Hill. Um, So I think kind of on par with that. Yeah. And similar to Chris, um, we were really taught to like push mediums as well. Like it's important to get off the computer sometimes and, to walk away and just take a moment and um, try things with your hands or rip something up. Like, we were really encouraged to do that. Um, I guess, like, one of the only things that I wish I learned more about in school was, like, more an in-depth, a more in-depth learning of the actual programs for designers because a lot of kids coming in as a freshman already knew Photoshop, like, the back of their hand. Really? Yeah. Um, or they knew all the programs and I literally did not know a single one when mm-hmm. I came in. Um, and I guess that would be the only thing I wish I had more. Do you think, did they get exposure? Do you think from like high school? Yeah, maybe. And that could be it too. I'm also from a very small town of like 16,000 people and, um, we had one art class and it mm-hmm. was like, you know, just like painting, like there wasn't a graphic design option or nothing really digital mm-hmm. so. yeah I guess that is the environment that you should feel that you feel like you should be learning how to actually use the programs but I also feel like there, it's good to just not I mean it's the fundamentals of design right that they should be teaching you to mm-hmm. it's like what is what is the what are the principles you know what what, what about aesthetics what does that mean right 
So I think exploring those things in conjunction with the programs. I do have to say that there was this moment, you said that, there was this moment in college where I was learning the pen tool. <laughs> and I was like, this is the most powerful tool I have ever tried in my life. So I appreciate that too. Like yeah. both perspectives of like learning the programs and then also just the foundational elements yeah. of design. Mm-hmm. So. So there, I'm, I'm going to be... a. Um, a little nerdy. Um, so I have this book. It's called Paul Rand Conversations with Students, and it's by um, Princeton Architectural Press. And I picked it up a few years ago. But you know, just in preparation for this conversation, I was flipping through and reading, and you know, I just really kind of landed on this one piece. And it's Paul Rand talking about. Um, and for for those of you who don't know who Paul Rand is, is a famous um, graphic artist who um, practiced. You know, in the uh, I would say the beginning of like. I don't know, the 40s and 50s, 60s was really his highlight, you know, the IBM, um, the iLogo, all of that stuff. Um, but anyway, um, so he is talking about the, um, the need for designers to step away from the computer. And when he was reading or writing this um, or commenting on it, um, it was at a time where the computers were starting to emerge and he was very excited about their potential, their full potential, but he also... Um, you know, he, he just says that um, it's important to use your hands. Um, that's what distinguishes you from a cow or a computer operator. Um, he talks about, um, you know, he doesn't want to leave the impression that he's against computers, um, but that, that he, he feels that um, the computer work was, is done by someone who can, who can use it. If someone is, um, they're not really being expressive, they're not being um, experimental with just their own ideas of what design is and what this what a project could be um and then he goes on to talk a little bit about you know if you dive right into computers uh, you're kind of bypassing that that uh, analog hands-on kind of ripping the paper and playing you know with things like that and so what you do is you become complacent and then you're driven by like the computer drives your kind of your process and where you end up being in life and he gets a little dark and he's like you know you'll end up just being you know behind a computer and being an operator for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. like that's it I mean, I don't necessarily agree. I, it's it's interesting because when he's talking about this, he's talking about these huge computers that you know were taking up sizes of rooms and mm-hmm. like people were starting to play with. Um, it wasn't the iPad. It wasn't the iPad. <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, we've uh, design has become accessible to to many many people that wouldn't normally have been able to access it. But I feel like it's also really important um, for designers and practices like us to really emphasize the importance of stepping away from the computer. Um, You know, as basic as that sounds, I feel like a lot of people still struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important to be able to develop your own voice. Mm -hmm. Because it is a question a lot of people have. How do I develop my own voice? How do I do this? And it's like, you've got to step away. Yeah. Yeah. And like, also, like I've noticed just within myself, I don't know if it's very subtle, but like I feel like sometimes if I just jump right into the computer, I have less of a connection or less of inspiration to whatever I'm making. Mm-hmm. Um, something about the sketching process and doing that stuff by hand allows me to feel more invested almost or like just more, I'm more attached. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've only noticed within like the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as fluid as a workflow that you can get from a computer, there's nothing more fluid than pencil on paper, in my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of like getting the thoughts out, like it's, I feel like that's that's the best way to start. Yeah, know, for the most part. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I recently got an iPad with an um, uh, with the the pencil, and I started playing with it, and I went back to paper, 
and pen. Oh, you did? I did. I didn't I, know that. It's not you the same. Still carry that oh, I was. Around. I was. <laughs> I, I do, but I. I was. I'm using it now for um, taking notes, or if I'm reading a book, it's way easier to have my iPad to oh. just say read page 44 mm-hmm. or note, you know, page whatever, or take you know notes like you know when I'm when I'm thinking about this show and I'm thinking about the things that I want to talk about. It's really handy as a device, and so I am incorporating it into my everyday life, but not the way that. I thought, you know, the with the pencil. pencil. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there it's very sophisticated. You know, the tip, you know, is is pressure sensitive and you can you, you can adjust and, and you can have it's a paintbrush or you can have um, an this ink pen. Sponsored, sponsored by Apple. It's not <laughs> it's not, but we're pushing. Um, but going back to my drafts like draftsman's like, you know, mechanical pencil, that is you yeah. know I think yeah. that in paper, it just it's way more satisfying and I feel like mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it just, it'll never be replaced. Yeah. It also, it's always like when you have a sketch and then you're like, okay, I got to bring this into the computer. Mm-hmm. It's like so daunting. And then so you do. Daunting. And it's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> the same as it was so when it was a sketch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but I remember the time when you would sketch and then you'd have to scan it in. So you have to hook your scanner up and then go, don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> and then, but now you just, you know, you take, you take a photo with your phone. It's yeah. great. And it's high res. Totally. Sponsored by Apple. Apple. <laughs> um, so, what are um, let's so talking about um, talking about design and education? I want to um, I want to discuss um, some design books that maybe you guys are are looking at um, reading that you want to share. But um, before we do that, I just want to remind everyone that you're listening to Entrepot. I'm Nathan Hill. Um, the guest uh, today, the guests are Spaith Hill, the design team at Spaith Hill. Um, but we're going to take a quick break, and we will come back. And then after that, we will discuss, pick back up, and talk about um, some design publications and books that we think our listeners might like to hear. Welcome back to Entrepot. I'm Nathan Hill, and I'm here speaking with the team at Spaith Hill, and we are about to dive into publication design or books about publication design and all things design and education and a lot of that stuff. So let's talk about books. Let's talk about publications. What are you guys are there? What are you reading now? What are what are some things that you think other people might really be interested in? Recently, I found uh, a magazine called Lowdown um, that's like a, based out of the UK mm-hmm. um, that talks about sort of uh, each each issue is uh, sort of centered around a different theme. Um, one is sort of about like 
car culture or um, you know st- uh, street culture, like, but sort of based around a very like overarching um, perspective on that in terms of you know how it influences fashion or um, language or music, um, and that particularly to me was interesting because it was taking a broad theme and sort of going the full spectrum with it. Um, and just in terms of the way that it's laid out, um, I found it actually in a Barnes and Noble, but it uses a very, um, you know, very types of stocks on the paper. Just so from a from a tactile like uh, perspective, it was an interesting um, publication to me. It's called Lowdown. Yeah. Awesome. How did you find it? I was perusing Barnes and Noble through okay. the magazines and just okay. happened and they to find it. it. Yeah. That's awesome. A physical the, Barnes and Noble. A physical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> VR, yeah. Um, but that and Ion, Ion Design yeah. definitely is... Um, I'm always impressed by the cohesiveness and sort of the spectrum that they do with their work, too. Yeah. That's cool. How about you, Chase? Um, I, I like Sleek Magazine. Um, they kind of cover... Because I like knowing or like learning about all kinds of art it doesn't really matter to me so they that magazine they will have articles on fashion and photography and architecture and design and also it's just designed really nicely it's um, called sleek mm-hmm. and how did you find that um i got it at some bookstore when i was at school some mm-hmm. design bookstore i can't remember um and then um actual source um they're like a design studio and they have they do these books called shoplifters and they do like different issues and the most recent issue was um 600 pages of 100 different typefaces and it's like an in-depth look on like these new fun typefaces huh i always like learning about those yeah that's that's really cool how about you miss faith um (laughs) it's not really recent that I've read a design inspired publication. I That's because you are the business side of the studio. Yes. So I think that's important for folks to understand yes. as well. Um, you keep the lights on. Yeah. Keep the lights on. And I, the lead in our pencils yeah. filled. Yeah. <laughs> and the power running to your machine. Yes. Uh, I have loved and always read Harvard Business Review. I mean that's been my go-to for a long time. It's just very well written, and I think it's well designed. It is. It is well designed, actually. I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently took a a little six-week program by Christo at the Future, and it was Mm -hmm. all about, it was a business boot camp, and he recommended two books before we started, and one of them is like my Bible. It's called Win Without Pitching Manifesto, and I've incorporated that into some of how we're articulating our proposals. Which I think has been pretty successful. I love that book. I've written in it and read it so many times. That's a good one. <laughs> and what's that called again? Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Um, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People is also a good one. It's a staple <laughs> of life. And then um, just like a flavor publication that I love is called Sift. It's a publication by King Arthur Flower. Um, they sell it at Whole Foods. Um, but my one of my very first boss, uh, creative director, was has been art director on that for a long time. So I've always loved it. I mean, it, the typography is beautiful. The layouts are beautiful. I'm the actual recipes for making bread are really good. So I really enjoy that one as well. Cool. 
So there's a there's a wide Flavor. range. There's a wide range. Um, it would be remiss of me not to include um, Entrepot um, and how next year um, we will have our first full issue, and that will be chocked full of interviews, um, some uh, experimental designs from the team here, um, and then um, yeah, it's we're excited about that. Yeah. So it'll be our first issue, and uh, very excited. We'll keep you posted about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Spathill does a lot of different things. I'm going to toot our own it. horn. Um, <laughs> we do. Uh, we, you know, we, we're, we're really experimenting with a lot of stuff. Um, you didn't say the books that you're reading. The books that I'm reading? Yeah. Um, I am reading, I love, and I mentioned it on um, last, uh, the last uh, episode of Design Brief, um, the pinup magazine, which I really love. And I, I think it's focused on, it's, a, it's, it's architectural, but it's got this really independent um, magazine layout feel that has, um, it's just, it's chocked full of uh, beautiful typography and hierarchy and um, and it's, it's fantastic, but it's all really about architecture and design and um, thinking about architecture in different ways. So it's not the traditional engineering side of things. It really is about, um, you know, there's, there's stuff about uh, buildings that are on the side of a cliff and like how, how the interior um, looks and uh, just as, as much as like the exterior. And it's really interesting. And there's a lot of really cool essays and critical writings on architecture, which I find very interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's pin yeah. up. I feel like that reminds me a little of that show on Netflix about um, extraordinary homes, where they look at architecture that's um, ho- people's houses in very different environments and mm-hmm. how they're built. And it's like, how did that? How was that even possible? How did you accomplish a lot that? of money? <laughs> well, and I mean, but yeah, but the whole point. My point was that <laughs> designers are pushing their fabricators or their construction companies to mm-hmm. to make sure that their vision is coming across in those projects yeah. which i think is inspirational that's very true i mean we do that we do that with a lot of our fabricators and and a lot of them actually are re- very responsive and they really love the outcome and so they we push them to use different materials yeah. and um, <clears throat> you know you're always going to get told you no. can't do something or you can't because of xyz but you know if you constantly push true some things might not work out but you know the integrity of pushing and making sure that your your design vision is not uh you know is not altered that it has the same flavor and integrity yeah Mm -hmm. which is a great reason why we keep our our process our sketches because we can always look back and then it's this wonderful journey from beginning to the end and you can see how it's changed and you can see how it's developed and then there's also like i i'm it's it's just memories i like that yeah I'm kind of a pack rat when it comes to stuff like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what else should we talk about? A se- secret? Oh, a secret. A secret. Um, <laughs> something that we don't know. It's not really a secret. You're making right, it sound sorry. weird. Um, but it's like <laughs> um, something that we don't know about you. Putting sure. you on the spot. <laughs> um, I can go first, I guess. Um... Oh, I don't know if I've ever, like, I don't think I've talked about it, but I I have been writing and recording music since I was, like, 10. Oh. Really? And singing and all of that. Really? Yeah, so when I um, graduated high school, I basically had to choose what I'm going to college for. Was it 
visual design or was it music? And I'm really happy I chose design. Um, but I still love music so much. And I took guitar lessons and a wow. little piano, but like not very good. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so writing is really important to me also. That's good. Cool. Yeah. Well balanced creative person. Thank we you. Can I feel start like a band. <laughs> <laughs> you probably could because Chase actually took mine. But um, but oh, yeah. seriously, oh, yeah, yeah. So, oh my god, I never knew that. So for we've about, got... about about as long too. Um, wow. Pr- really, sort of how I got into design was like when I was in school in Richmond. Um, I studied English there and wanted to do uh, screenwriting or writing, and sort of fell into the arts community. Um, where there's just a really vibrant music scene and that sort of was the springboard into oh I'm putting out this music I need an album cover who's going to do that well I I might as well do that so that was sort of the springboard into really like taking design seriously and coming from that perspective of like a different medium it wasn't you know it was for communication but there was um, an experiential aspect to it, another medium, I think that's definitely influenced sort of how I think about it because it came from this perspective of it servicing a product, maybe something physical. Like, um, you know, I helped start like a tape label with a friend and physical releases was a big part of that. So, yeah. Actually, cool. now that I think of it, music was kind of my gateway into graphic design because I would in like elementary school I would make or maybe middle school I don't know I would get these really like cheap knockoff programs and like make like mixes of songs and stuff and then I was I like it. I need like a cover and so then I would download like <laughs> fake photoshop like it wasn't even the real <laughs> and I would use that acne to, like, paint <laughs> to like superimpose like fire and like <laughs> like all these like crazy wow. graphics um, yeah. Well, we're definitely going to have, like, then a Christmas band kind of thing happening. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Yeah. I can sing. What's your secret? Oh, secret. Well, so I... My mother, my parents, but my mother mostly, is very um, forward-thinking. And so when um, there was a cutoff age for when you started school... And I was, my birthday was like four days um, after the cutoff or before, I don't know what the method is, but I wasn't allowed to start yet. I would have had to wait a whole nother year. And she's always been a little pushy, kind of like me. <laughs> and she said, no, she's starting. So I started mm-hmm. school early and I was always younger than everyone else and then I just happened my brother was happened to be in the same grade as me so I would often tell people that I skipped a grade oh but I didn't so I've been out of so, I didn't of skip a grade you're a liar <laughs> oh no so you're really 46 yeah <laughs> I'm kidding um so I guess it's my turn. It's not as fun as everyone else's creative <laughs> story. Um, well, when I was 15, I've always wanted to own you a business. You started a band. <laughs> you guys took it. Um, I, when I was 15, I um, created my first business. And I... <laughs> my parents are insane. Um, they let us do anything. They encouraged us. Um, 
to the point where I feel like I probably wouldn't encourage my own children in this way, but I'm thankful they did. But um, I wanted to breed birds. So I had an aviary full of birds, and I had about 50. And I created my, I always went by my middle name, which is Joel. And I had business cards, which I still have. I will bring it into the studio. I need to see this. They are green with a cockatoo, and it says Joel's Exotics. So <laughs> I, I sold birds um, and, and talked a lot and wrote for a local newsletter and um, spoke a lot about breeding different types of birds. And I um, had a phone line um, in, hooked up into my room that was a private line for bird Enthusiasts that would call me and I would walk them through. Yeah, at 15, I would walk them (laughs) through how to get their birds to do it so that they would have eggs. (laughs) And then that they would. How did you know? um, Reading, um, trying it out, but I had parakeets, cockatiels, cockatoos, I had ring necked parakeets, I had. Finches, I had canaries, oh I had I had everything. And then when that got boring, I started collecting geckos. So I also had lizards. Wow. My parents were like, okay, oh so it stops at the ferret. So I brought a ferret home and they stops were like, the so ferret. it stops here. <laughs> um, so I started to collect them. But I loved all of them. I mean, they were, they were fantastic. I love birds. The birds are very fascinating creatures and they're not... They're very cuddly and friendly. People think that you just stick them in a cage and, and they're, they, they love kisses and hugs and they, they love it. So if anyone's listening needs the request line for the... Joel's birds. Exotics is <laughs> no longer in business, but, but yeah. So that's my, that's wow. my secret. Let's just that. have people call in and say which secret they like the best. <laughs> so I think all of these experiences have really enabled us to kind of be creative and be who we are and mm-hmm. I think that it really is this diverse range of like interests and um, curiosities that help us be creative people yeah so alright well you can find out more about Spaith Hill at spaithill.com um, our Instagram handle is at spaithill.com um, or I'm sorry minus the dot com <laughs> I'm just going into this. Um, and then, um, yeah, and, and keep an eye out for Entrepot. We've got a lot of things happening with that. We are not always the best at putting on social media, but we're, we're not terrible. Um, and we, um, we are really, we have Sam Carpenter, who is our intern, and she really keeps an eye on the social media, and she lets us know what's what and helps us in that department. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're very, we're excited Hashtag for what's next. Bless. Yes, we are. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so uh, thanks for listening. Again, this is Entrepot, and um, we have um, some really interesting shows coming up in the next few weeks. We have um, Ion Design. The editors of Ion Design will be there to discuss um, the publication and the website. We also have Ellen Lupton um, from MICA and Cooper Hewitt joining us. Um, so, And then we have um, later on in the season, we have Colophant, who is a London-based uh, type uh, foundry that... We're super excited about having on. So lots coming up. So we will try to share as much as we can. But 11 a.m. 11 a.m. on Friday. EST. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio. Broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. 
full-service radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Thank you.